0: Go rebuild my church, which, as you can see, is falling into ruins." These are the words spoken to St. Francis of Assisi from an image of Christ on the crucifix at San Damiano in 1205 A.D. These same words inspired Peter Doan, the host of the program you're about to hear. Peter challenges all of us to rebuild, not the brick and mortars of our church buildings, but our personal faith and relationships that will rebuild and strengthen the church. Now here's today's program. Hi, I'm Peter
1: Doan.
2: And I'm Leslie Doan.
1: And you're listening to the radio broadcast, Go Rebuild My Church. Each week in this broadcast, we explore ways to put into practice the words spoken to St. Francis of Assisi by our Lord Jesus and how this theme is relevant as we seek to bring renewal to the church today.
2: Our passion for renewal was ignited when we came home to the Catholic Church 14 years ago, and that's when we heard the call to rebuild and joined efforts with many other renewal movements within the church.
1: Now you can learn more about our journey home and our lay apostolate dedicated to renewal in the Catholic Church by visiting our website at www.catholicdiscipleshipministries.org.
2: Our prayer is through the ministry of this radio program and our lay apostolate, we can provide pathways for you to join the rebuilding process and experience renewal.
1: We want to welcome those listeners who are joining us for the first time today. In our broadcast, we look at the sacred scripture, excerpts from the catechism, the lives of our saints, and the teaching of the church as we seek to challenge individuals, families, and local parishes to rebuild and renew the Catholic faith here in America. In our past three broadcasts, Leslie and I discussed what we believe would be a decisive goal for the new year for Catholic disciples, to discover, develop, and deploy our spiritual gifts. And since we were together last time, I ran across this quote from Sherry Waddell that I think sums up the importance of spiritual gifts in the life of the Catholic disciple. And she said this, First, you do have to discern your charisms because a call from God comes from those But the discipline of answering that call by exercising your charisms changes us and forces us to grow and strengthens the rest of the body of Christ through the fruit of those charisms given to us.
2: That was a very timely quote that you ran across, Peter.
1: Yes, and as Sherry Waddell said, the first step is for discerning our spiritual gifts. Now, Leslie, to demonstrate how that works... She went ahead and took two online gift inventories.
2: I, had, I really had never taken one.
1: Mm-hmm. One inventory was from our home parish, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, in the Diocese of Lafayette, Indiana. And the second inventory is offered by St. John the Evangelist in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. Leslie, tell us about your experience and some surprises you discovered at that.
2: Well, you have to allow a little bit of time to take them and you work your way through a series of questions and you have to answer the questions as honestly as you can. You don't answer them thinking what you would like to be like. You try Mm -hmm. to answer them. what you truly are like
1: that's a good point
2: yes it was a very good point so you have to be honest and take your time and anyways when i got both uh, done with both of them at the top of the list one of my charisms was encouragement well i've always known that that i had a gift of encouragement i've had that validated many times by many people But the surprise was that a second highest gift was the gift of intercession. And I never thought about myself as being an intercessor. I just didn't put myself in that category. But I realized when I look back on my life, I pray a lot for people. When I know that people have troubles in their lives, I pray a lot for them, I intercede for them, and I believe that prayer works.
1: So after Leslie became more aware of that intercessory prayer burden, can be one's charism, we felt it would be good to spend some time delving into this one charism today. Whether it's one's charism or not, intercession is a discipline that needs to be rebuilt in our Catholic devotions. So let's begin pursuing that
0: today.
2: And we really think it's the best way to do this, to rebuild this understanding and experience of intercession, is to really search the scriptures as Jesus exhorted us as his followers that we should go to the scriptures. So Peter, what do the scriptures teach us about intercession?
1: Okay, well, let's start out uh, with this New Testament scripture uh, given by St. Paul to Timothy. And it's in 1 Timothy 2, chapter 1. And he says this, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. That's in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. St. Paul tells us a priority of a Christian gathering is prayer. And he mentions various forms of prayer, one of which is intercession. To intercede means literally to come in between. That's very important to hear that, to come in between. The intercessors come in between God and those in need, sometimes in dire need, as Leslie alluded to. Sometimes an intercessor stands in the gap for whole nations and countries, those who deserve judgment. We'll see that in a minute. The intercessor lifts his hands to God, acknowledges God, and knows his judgments are well-deserved, but he has every right to judge, whether an individual or a nation. But the intercessor stands between those being disciplined, chastised, or even judged by God. As St. Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verse 3, that he even stood as an intercessor for the whole nation of Israel.
2: Right. He wanted his people yep. to receive Christ. Amen. Well, that's right. And in particular in the Old Testament, we find various accounts of cities and nations being spared from divine judgment through the ministry of an intercessor. And we're going to talk about some of these examples. We know some of the greatest Old Testament saints were often powerful intercessors for they were men and women who were very close to God's heart. So Peter, talk to us about Abraham. We're all familiar with that story of Sodom and Gomorrah. How was he an intercessor?
1: Yes, there's a wonderful portion of scripture in Genesis chapter 18, and we find the Lord with two angels visiting Abraham's tent. And at the end of that visit, the Lord says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do?" In other words, the Lord sees Abraham as his close friend with whom he will share his thoughts and his plans. So the Lord tells Abraham this, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Now, Abraham was very concerned about Sodom because his nephew, remember, Lot, lived there. Abraham knew that if judgment came down on Sodom, Lot and his family would also suffer. Now, the scene continues in Genesis 18. It says, so the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord, kind of to hold him back. Then Abraham drew near and said and asked, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there's 50 righteous within the city. Will you destroy the place and not spare it for the righteous? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? That's Abraham speaking to the Lord. It takes a lot of courage to do that to speak to the Lord in that way. However, Abraham knew that it would be totally out of keeping with the character of God to be contrary to his justice, to let judgment fall upon the righteous, Leslie.
2: So... Abraham was pretty bold, and he had an intense conviction that God was going to be absolutely righteous with Sodom and Gomorrah, because there was just great sin going on there. But he challenged the Lord, and as the story goes, he got down to 10. He said, Lord, if 10 righteous are in that city, will you spare the city? And the Lord answers Abraham, he will spare the whole city for the sake of 10.
1: Right, and that's a tremendous revelation, Leslie, that Sodom was a major city of its day, with a population of probably no less than 10,000. For the sake of those 10,000, God was willing to spare the entire city just one out of a 1,000.
2: Okay, everyone, we're going to take a little break right now. And when we come back, we will share about a second powerful intercessor. So please stay with us. You're listening to Go Rebuild My Church. This program is underwritten in part by Willie and Deborah Wood, in memory of their parents, Woody and Joyce Wood, and Bill and Elsie Brooks.
0: Catholic Radio Indy thanks the Wood family for their support. You've probably heard, for almost any need, there's an app for that. Well, for great reception of Catholic Radio wherever you are, there's an app for that, too. And our app is free. Just visit your app store and look for Catholic Radio Indy. Use all three words, Catholic Radio Indy. In just minutes, you'll have transformed your humble cell phone into a spectacular receiver that can get Catholic Radio Indy wherever you are. Remember, visit your app store and look for Catholic Radio Indy.
2: Welcome back to our radio program, Go Rebuild My Church. And today we are discussing how Abraham was a great intercessor and the call to Catholic disciples to become intercessors as well and discover that charism. So, Peter, let's discuss how there's another great example of an intercessor in the Old Testament.
1: Yes, see. there's a second great example of an intercessor, and that is in Moses.
2: Who is a type of Jesus, right?
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah, that, when we'll see that later, too, as well. So in Exodus chapter 32, we find Moses climbing Mount Sinai to receive the covenant from God. And after he'd been gone many days, the people began to be impatient, and they urged Aaron to make gods for them to worship. Now, Aaron made a golden calf, we remember that, a molten calf, around which Israel began to dance and worship. And this was occurring in the camp. At that time, when that was going on, God spoke to Moses on the mountain and said, go down, for your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. And they've turned aside quickly, out of the way which I commanded them, they have made for themselves a molten calf, and they've worshipped it. Now at this tense moment, the conversation between God and Moses actually seems a little bit humorous, Leslie, because listen to what happens. Speaking of Israel to Moses, God calls them, your Your people, people. right. (laughs) But Moses, unwilling to accept this responsibility, casts it back on God and says, your people. Neither God nor Moses wish to be held responsible, so to speak, for what Israel was doing at that point. Meanwhile. Israel continued dancing around the calf, unaware that Moses was at this time interceding for them. God declared to Moses, now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. Note that Moses would not get out of God's way. As an intercessor, he remained standing. Remember that definition between God and his people. And finally, God says that he will use Moses to redeem his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to make them a great nation based on Moses' intercession at that point.
2: And it's really interesting in this segment of scripture, we can also see that Moses had a concern for God's reputation. He told God, if you bring these people out, and they perish in the mountains, the Egyptians will say you had evil intentions against them when you brought them out. And Mm -hmm. it really makes me think, am I concerned about God's reputation? Do I intercede for the church when negative things about the church come out in the press? I really stopped and thought about that, Peter, when I was reading this.
1: That's a really good point. So at the close of this section of Scripture, Exodus 32, we find the end result of Moses' intercession. It says this, after he had returned to the camp and set things in order, he spoke to the people and said this, you've sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. That's
2: kind of like Jesus.
1: Yes. Uh huh. So Moses returned to the Lord saying, alas, these people have committed a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold, but now if you will forgive their sin, and if not, and this is amazing, Leslie, he says, blot me, I beg you, out of your book, which you've written. This is the same thing that St. Paul said in, in uh, Romans 9.3 that we mentioned earlier, that Paul was willing to be cursed, he said, if Israel would be saved. That is powerful intercession. God, they deserve your discipline. Forgive them. But if not, Lord, let your judgment come upon me. So the intercessor is the one who stands in between God and the object of his just chastisements and anger.
2: Well, this isn't the only time Moses had to intercede for the people of God. There's another account of this in number 16 where he interceded. This time he was with Aaron, however. Moses and Aaron became intercessors. God had dealt with a rebellion. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they had rebelled, mm-hmm. and God had judged them. He caused the whole earth to open and swallow them alive. It's a pretty dramatic story. Yes. But on the mm-hmm. next day, the congregation of the Israelites, they got upset. They rebelled against Moses and Aaron and said, You have killed the people of the Lord. Then Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from this congregation, these people, because I'm going to consume them in a moment. Well, at that point, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces, and that is the position of an intercessor. They laid prostrate on their faces before God, and they were pleading with God because they knew that judgment was about to fall.
1: So we we see this, Leslie, we marvel First of all, the grace that we saw in Moses as an intercessor. And now Aaron, who at that time was on the wrong side of the fence, now is standing with Moses as an intercessor. Now, as you mentioned, the people had turned against Moses and Aaron, yet they were willing to intercede even at the risk of their own lives because listen to what happens. Moses said to Aaron, take your censer, put fire in it from the altar, and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation, and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord, the plague has begun. So what happened is Aaron took it as Moses had ordered, and he ran right into the middle of the assembly where the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people at that point. He stood in between the dead and the living, the scriptures said, and at that point the plague stopped. The language in this passage emphasized that there was a real urgency to this intercession because Moses said to Aaron, go quickly. And the scripture says that Aaron did not walk, he ran. So every moment of delay would cost lives in that situation. The word plague, interestingly enough, also suggests something that was highly infectious. And to make atonement, Aaron had to expose himself to what the contagion was uh was in and of itself. In other words, he as an intercessor ended up risking his whole life as an intercession. As he stood swinging that censer, the smoke rose in a white line, dividing the living from the dead, the scripture says. And where the white smoke went up from the censer, there the plague stopped. That's real intercession, isn't it? Coming at the risk of our own lives, laying down our lives and sacrificing it, A lot of times as an intercessor, right, we're sacrificing our time and the things that we want to do for the sake of others. Aaron, between the dead and those who are due to die, then offering a fervent prayer and supplication, like that white smoke from the censer, until the plague finally ceased.
2: Well, we also can see in Revelation that our... Our prayers, our intercessions are like incense before the Lord, aren't they? So there again is Mm -hmm. that picture of the censer and our prayers rising up to heaven in intercession for the church, for God's people, for our nation.
1: Yeah, Revelation says that the prayers of the saints are ascending in heaven Mm -hmm. like intercession, and they're interceding for us, aren't they? Especially when we ask them to.
2: Right. Okay, listeners, we are going to take another short break, and we return, we want to ask Peter a question. Why are Catholic intercessors needed today, and what are the characteristics of a Catholic intercessor? Because you might be one, so please stay with us. You're listening to Go Rebuild My Church. This program is underwritten in part by Willie and Deborah Wood, in memory of their parents Woody and
0: Joyce Wood, and Bill and Elsie Brooks. Catholic Radio Indy thanks the Wood family for their support. When it comes to the Catholic faith, if you've got questions, we've got answers. Hear Catholic Answers live weekdays from 6 till 8 p.m. here on Catholic Radio Indy all shop where we believe we're getting the best deals and maintaining our values. If you shop at Kroger, you can help Catholic Radio Indy stay on the air. Go to catholicradioindy.org, click on donate, then on Kroger, register, and select Catholic Radio Indy as your charity. Be sure to use all three words, Catholic Radio Indy. At any time that you shop at Kroger, we get a small percentage of your purchase. It costs you absolutely nothing, and you only need to do it once. Thank you for your support.
2: You're listening to the radio program, Go Rebuild My Church, and today we are discussing the need to rebuild the ministry of intercession in our Catholic faith and culture, and really try to help all of us discover if this might be one of our charisms. Now, we've shared that in the Old Testament, both Abraham and Moses picture for us the role of intercession throughout salvation history. But Peter, what about in our day? What will it take for us as Catholic disciples to realize this high call of intercession, and really kind of seek it right. and want it.
1: So this is amazing lesson. We don't talk about this very much, but the fact is that Jesus Christ is in, as an intercessor and is interceding for you and I today. Intercessions is one of the great marks of the ministry of Jesus Christ. In fact, in Isaiah, who looked forward to the crucifixion, in Isaiah 53, he describes the atoning work on the cross in verse 12, which includes, amazingly enough, intercession. Well, Let you
2: know, m- Peter, when, when I read that verse, that I had never really focused on the fact that that was part of Isaiah 53.
1: Yeah, so listen to what it says. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now there's four things, Leslie, that are recorded in this Isaiah passage, and let's point those out. First of all, Isaiah said he poured out his soul to death. In fact, Leviticus says, remember, that when the soul of all flesh is in the blood, so Jesus poured out his soul to death when he poured out his blood. Second. Isaiah says he was numbered with the transgressors. Of course, we we remember that he was crucified with two thieves. Thirdly, he bore the sin of many. He became the sin offering for all of us. And then fourthly, as we're highlighting today, he made intercession for the transgressors.
2: Okay, so let's stop and think about that. At the same time he was hanging on the cross, bearing our sins, he was interceding for us. Isn't that amazing?
1: Yes, it is.
2: He actually said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's in Luke twenty
1: three, thirty four. Yes, he was he standing was, he was standing for us between us, wasn't he?
2: Yeah. He mm-hmm. was saying the judgment that's due to them, let it come on me. And that's really what happened with Abraham and Moses, and yes. particularly Moses, actually.
1: So in the scriptures in Hebrews 7, it again speaks about this intercession. It speaks after his death, resurrection, and ascension. We're told that Jesus is our high priest at God's right hand. Because he has this unchangeable priesthood, one that never passes from him, it says in Hebrews 7.25, he is able for all time to save those who draw near to God through him. Now listen to this, Leslie, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That's again in Hebrews 7.25. And if we study the life and the ministry of Jesus, if we think about this, we Arrive at a very interesting comparison. He spent 30 years in obscurity, right, uh, with his family, with Mary and Joseph, three and a half years in a dramatic public ministry that culminated in the Paschal mystery, and then nearly 2,000 years now in intercession, unseen by the natural eye, of course. But since ascending, he's been interceding for us before the Father day and night.
2: Well, we need to stop and really think about that yes we think about jesus and his love for us in so many ways i was thinking about that when we were preparing today i think about him as my savior my good shepherd my lord my master but now today i'm thinking he's also my intercessor Yeah,
1: no, he's praying for us
2: right so the final question for us today is why why does jesus intercede for you and me and become an example for us of intercession
1: so let's, let's stop and think about that for a minute. First of all, he's showing us his great kindness in coming down to our level as a man. Now, St. Thomas Aquinas talks about this, Leslie. He said this, the apostle shows the excellence of Christ's kindness when he says he ever lives to make intercession for us. Since even though Christ is so powerful and lofty, Nevertheless, along with these qualities, he's also kind because he intercedes for us. As St. John says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Now those are the words of the great theologian, Thomas Aquinas. And there's a second thing he said, Leslie, and most amazingly, we know that Jesus prays for us to satisfy the burning desire of his soul, of his sacred heart. Here's St. Thomas Aquinas again. He goes on to say, he prays for us to express the great desire of his most holy soul, which he has for our happiness and salvation, and it's with this desiring soul that he prays for us.
2: Well, that reminded us of what Mother Teresa said, that when Jesus was on the cross and he said, I thirst, he was saying he was thirsting for souls. That was his sacred heart, bleeding for souls.
1: And, And Mother Teresa would say that often that he's constantly thirsting for our souls when he said, I thirst. Then think of this, Leslie, Jesus at this very moment is expressing before the throne of the most holy trinity, the loving desire of his heart and soul and mind and strength for everything we need for our eternal happiness. And then thirdly, we might add on our own that Jesus is so attached to the life of humility that he experienced on this earth as our advocate, that he especially, and in his passion, this does only by continuing this very human work of intercession, even though he's the one who grants the prayer. So he's interceding, that grants the prayer, and that's a mystery, Leslie. We're not going to fully understand that.
2: So I, so I think about this. He's modeling for us his kindness. So out of kindness, we want to step into a role of intercession. Mm-hmm. He also had a great passion for souls. So that behooves us to ask ourselves a question, do I have a passion for souls? Am I really concerned about the people I know and love that are not following Jesus? Mm-hmm. And then also his humility You know, he took on human flesh so he could bear the burden of intercession for us. He suffered like we did. He Mm -hmm. struggled for us. Mm -hmm. So my last question is, do we want to be like Jesus? Yes. Let's begin to take up that burden of intercession with Jesus. Let's start praying for others, for our family, our friends, our coworkers, anyone who's hurt us or offended us sinners that we know, sick, suffering, our war-torn earth and oppressed, and most of all, we need to intercede for our church, which is the body of Christ on earth. Right. And
1: and next week, Leslie, we're going to give some practical ways to become an intercessor. We'll take a lot of the scriptural background and ending with Jesus in that background and look at some practical ways that we can increase the intercession uh, in our own lives. So let's take a moment as we end here today to pray and ask God to help us in these things. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for these great examples in the Old Testament of Abraham and Moses, and then culminating in your Son, uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That intercession was part and parcel to who not only those Old Testament saints were, but Jesus himself. Please lead us and guide us that we, no matter what stage of life we're in, might become pleasing to you and join others and become intercessors for your glory in the earth. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you listeners for joining us today as we seek to connect you as individuals, your families, and your parishes to the rebuilding and renewal of the Catholic faith here in America. And make sure to become a regular listener of Catholic Radio Indy. Goodbye for now and keep keep the faith. faith.
0: You've been listening to Go Rebuild My Church with Peter Doan. Podcasts of this program are available at www.catholicradiond.org.